0: Tim Hi, I'm Emily. No elation. And welcome to episode
1: four, I believe, of Moshing to Mozart. Where yeah, I believe we're on episode we four.
0: Random bullshit for an hour and a half every two weeks, and usually metal, sometimes politics, whatever.
1: <laughs> whatever. I get on tangents about fucking girls and shit. You know the u- the usual. Uh, metal book type shit except in audio form. Woo! So, um our homework assignments from last week were listen to two albums. Mine was an album called Hypertrace by a band called Scanner. I had no idea what to expect going into this album. I did not expect a fairly fast, aggressive power metal album, which is what I got. Um... It actually came out the same day as Megadeth's Dystopia, and I have no idea why people bought Megadeth's Dystopia over this, because this is vastly better. It also yeah, has, that album is uh, a disaster. It also has the same uh, cheeseball-type vocals. Obviously, they're not identical, but they're, the, the vocals are definitely usually the weakest part of a power metal album.
0: Uh, I'm not sure I would agree with that, honestly. I really love the vocals on a lot of power metal bands. When it comes to
1: the riffy stuff, the vocals are usually the weakest part.
0: I'm still going to disagree, but I get where you're coming from. But, like, even on the riffy stuff, like, let's take early Blind Guardian. I think Hansi's vocals are fantastic on their first few albums. Yes,
1: yes. I don't know. When you, once you start mixing power metal with thrash, the vocals start getting a little iffy.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So for a bit of context, uh, Hypertrace is an album from 1988. It's a bit of a blend of thrash metal and power metal. And it's from the, uh, the German scene at the time, you know, bands like Halloween, Blind Guardian, Gamma Ray, all that stuff.
1: Oh, so that album didn't come out in 2016. Oh, the band came out in the 80s. Is that what you mean?
0: No, the album came out in 1988. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn,
1: Spotify would be wrong as fuck.
0: Yeah, no, never trust streaming services to get the uh, dates of albums. I was looking for some albums for this week's list, and I was going to put Human Equals Garbage by Dystopia because Apple Music lists it as a 2014 album, but I think it's from, like, 1996
1: Oh my god, Spotify, you fucking suck, man. That's an <laughs> anti shout out right there. Fuck you. Why am I paying <laughs> What? But yeah, good uh, so, thing I got my next year of your fucking shit free.
0: Right. So yeah, uh Hypertrace is from 1988. Yeah,
1: that it sound it sounded old. It sounded old school like that. It didn't really I didn't really expect it when I looked at the at the date, I was like Damn, this sounds old school as fuck. More of this shit, please.
0: Yeah, right?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, anyway, what were you going to talk about?
0: So, uh, you had me listen to E-Muggy by Hail, Hail Spirit Noir. Hail, uh, yeah! Yeah, so it's a psychedelic black metal album from 2014, uh, and it's from Greece. So... I've heard a lot of hype around this album over the past few years, and I haven't really given it a chance yet, which is weird because I really enjoy psychedelic black metal when I do hear it, but I don't exactly mm. go out of my way to listen to it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I me neither. So like, I just, I just heard it because of uh cover killer nation recommended it.
0: Right. Right. So like among my favorite black metal acts are knock Mistium and, uh, Blue Snored. Blue Tower Snored, they weren't psychedelic until the last album, uh, Hallucinogen, but that album is definitely like near the top of their amazing discography.
1: I but, need to listen to that album on LSD. I need to listen to that album on LSD. I need to listen to that album on LSD.
0: Carry on. Valid. But we're not here to talk about Blue Tower Snord. We're here to talk about E. McGee. So... This album is described as psychedelic black metal, but I kind of listened to it a bit more as like blackened psychedelic rock, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, that does make it, more sense. It, it, it really felt feel.
0: like a psychedelic rock album with, you know, a bit of blast beats, a bit of trem riffing and some harsh vocals along with, you know, yeah. the weird species shit that comes with psych. Um, yeah. Especially on The very, Mermaid. Yeah, The Mermaid is probably the best example of this, you know, blackened psychedelic rock. Uh, A few days ago, you described it as being similar to Opus recent material. But Opus
1: recent material, but with um, a little bit of a psychedelic rock and uh, black metal twinge to it.
0: Yeah, kind of like taking inspiration from Uriah Heep instead of, say, Pink Floyd. Yeah, exactly.
1: But, But I've definitely got at least when I first heard it, I sort of got heritage vibes from it that was uh that was way back before Pale Communion came out that I first heard it.
0: okay, so yeah, uh this album is a it's a very laid back feeling album, and if you want to listen to some black metal but you don't want anything too intense and if you want something that'll kind of make you think, I highly recommend listening to e Muggy by Hail Spirit Noir, especially, especially. the track the Mermaid.
1: Especially the track The Mermaid, and especially while stoned.
0: Yeah, I don't smoke, but I'm sure it's great stoned. <laughs>
1: oh, it is. It is. I can't confirm. So now, we're not here to
0: agree on anything. We're here to argue. We're here to argue about our favorite bands. This week, we're talking about Slayer. Yeah. The legendary Bay Area thrash metal band that parents across the world fear the name of.
1: despite the fact that they're not even close to the um heaviest thrash metal band
0: oh definitely not i mean there's like demolition hammer there's morbid saint uh there's vector i know you like vector
1: fucking pleasure to kill even in the in the same year that their first two albums came out or that their two albums that are like the particularly heavy ones, came out. They weren't even the heavy-ass albums of those years. You had Seven Churches in 1985 and Pleasure to Kill in 1986 before both heavier than Hella in and, and I think Renewal. Bathory
0: released something in 86, no? Bathory released something in 85. 85? Was that when uh, they released The Return? Yeah, The Return came out in 85.
1: Gotcha, but Anyway, gotcha. But anyway, we're here to argue about whether, well, what's your favorite Slayer album?
0: Uh, So I'm going to start this off by saying that Slayer isn't exactly my favorite band on earth. I appreciate a lot of what they've done, and I appreciate their influence, but they're not at the top of my list when I want to listen to something, you know what I mean? But I think by far their best, well, not by far, Rain and Blood is also great. I'd say my favorite Slayer album is their second album, Hell Awaits. Uh, I think that this album is very much a transitionary album between the kind of venom ripoff of their first album and the famous thrash metal of their later work, like Rain and Blood.
1: Yeah, I'd say de- I'd say it could be considered sort of. A, well, I wouldn't say Merciful Fate knockoff, but it definitely has. It's definitely sounds sort of like a more sinister. Don't break the oath. If that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. It's definitely got a lot more heavy metal than Rain and Blood does.
1: Yeah, Rain and Blood is almost death metal at times. Well, so is Hell Awaits, but not to the same extent as Rain and Blood.
0: And not like in the same ways, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Rain and Blood, where Rain and Blood is a brutal album, I feel like Hell Awaits is almost an evil sounding album
1: yeah random blood kicks you in the ass hell awaits is like fuck you i'll poison you
0: yeah exactly it's got a much more sinister much more evil vibe throughout very much helped by the somewhat muddy production but uh i think tom aria's vocals are just really fun throughout this entire album all the riffs are fantastic and they've it's chock full of classics. There isn't a single bad song. My favorite being uh, At Dawn They Sleep. Oh, I
1: love that song.
0: So I feel like this album, it's overall stronger than Rain and Blood. And I feel like the songwriting is a bit more restrained, but that kind of serves to help it a little bit. It's It's kind of a more... I guess Straightforward album than Rain mm-hmm. and Blood. Mm-hmm. You don't have the signature Carrie King crazy noodling all over the place solos as yeah. much as you do. Yeah, right, Rain House Rain
1: and Blood place. is de- Rain and Blood is definitely not a, not a very conventional album.
0: Yeah, and so I feel like Hell Awaits is a bit more of a heavy metal album and as somebody who appreciates heavy metal, I appreciate this album a lot more than their others. I totally get why any other album would be somebody's favorite, but to me, Hello awaits will always be the best. That said, I do have one minor complaint about it. Yeah. And that's that it really goes on for too long at some points. Like half of the songs are above six minutes and there's another above like five minutes. And just, I feel like if they cut down the songs a little bit more, it would easily be their best album. That's just me though.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I definitely feel like um a major detriment to it, if any, is that it kinda closes with the weakest track on the album.
0: Yeah, it's not exactly the best song on there. If it ended on Crypts of Eternity, I would love oh, it. Oh god, oh god. If God if, that if, would be rad. If, if
1: hardening of the arteries were somewhere before that, and then it ended Crypts of Eternity with that reprise of the Hallowaits intro I'd come all I'd come all over myself just listening (laughs) to it
0: yeah all right so uh which album is your favorite Slayer my favorite Slayer album is
1: Rain and Blood and I know that's a fairly cliche option but I feel like I've earned the right to say it given how long of a Slayer fan I've been
0: Oh, yeah, and I a- feel like uh, a lot of like classic heavy metal albums are really classics for a reason, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: Rain and Blood earned its fucking reputation, and you fucking posers know it. <laughs> Stop, pretend- Stop pretending that Rain and Blood is overrated because it gets a lot of attention. It gets a lot of attention because it's that fucking good. It's that plus, fucking good.
0: Plus, overrated is just kind of a... Bullshit. lazy it's a lazy yeah. term
1: it's a lazy term used by people who have no other way of describing something they don't like
0: yeah it's it's a little bit irritating to it's say even It's even worse than boring but like boring is understandable but overrated i it doesn't feel like
1: say anything about it
0: yeah it doesn't say anything about the music it's disliking it purely because other people like it and i i've got a bad habit of doing that with a couple of things for a long time i really hated metallica without any real reason to yeah okay so so yeah rain and blood so yeah the
1: reason i love rain and blood so much is that it just starts off so fucking strong with uh the main the opening track angel of death and You think after the opening track goes so hard for almost five minutes and features so many classic riffs, you think the album's just going to like maybe subdue itself a little? But no, it actually manages to get faster. Mm -hmm. Necrophobic is the fastest uh, song on the album and the fastest Slayer song to date at that point. Almost to the point that you almost miss it. You almost miss Necrophobic going between uh, piece by piece and Altar of Sacrifice. It's 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 actually kind of a hard to tra- uh, a hard track to even register half the time you're listening to the album. It's so fast. It goes by in a minute and forty seconds, and you feel like Whew, I just got hit by a truck. And then Altar of Sacrifice comes in and hits you like a truck again because. That riff, the way it just goes back and forth. I mean, I do a horrible job of trying to um, hum the riffs from Rain and Blood because they're so fast and so aggressive. Tom Araya, or not Tom Araya, uh, Jeff Hanneman really did a fantastic job with the with the riffs on this album. I think Kerry King did most of the solos, but uh, Jeff Hanneman did... All, almost all of the riffs, I think. And they were some of his best riffs, like uh, Criminally Insane, Postmortem, Epidemic. Just every track on this album is a banger. And let's not forget about the closing track, which is uh, one of those songs that every single high school metal band has to know how to play or they're never going to make it anywhere.
0: Oh, yeah. Raining Blood is just, it's like the peak of cheesy '80s thrash metal. In fact, my uh, 14-year-old brother knows how to play that song by heart, and he doesn't even really listen to a lot of music. That's just how influential and huge that song is. Yeah. Now,
1: if you were able to play it on drums, I'd be a bit more impressed.
0: True, true. Uh, I mean, it is a pretty simplistic song when it comes to the guitar parts, but the drumming I think it, is insane. It, it works. You know what I mean? The drumming is fantastic. Throughout the whole
1: album, Lombardo doesn't miss a single beat. Mm
0: -hmm. Lombardo is definitely a step above the other thrash metal drummers of the time. Except for Gene Hoglin.
1: Okay, yeah, that's fair. I give Gene Hoglin's work on uh, Darkness Descends and Edge over every other vanilla 80s thrash metal drummer. It's Mm -hmm. just so much tighter. Not to plug that album over here, but... Uh, yeah, Lombardo's definitely a second-place contender and definitely the best thrash metal drummer in the Big Four. Um, I'll you Nick Menza and Joey Benante. stands, shut the fuck up. Dave Lombardo's better. All right. Could Nick Menza play Seasons in the Abyss? Probably, but um, he didn't. Uh, just um, to
0: clarify, who's, who's Nick Menza?
1: He was the guy who was in uh, Slayer from, uh, from Rust in Peace through Cryptic Writings.
0: Okay. Wait, Rust in Peace?
1: Yes. He was their 90s drummer
0: until Risk. Are you talking about Megadeth? You said Slayer. I was talking about the big four drummers. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about, like, another Slayer drummer. My no, bad, no.
1: It's just, just Bow Staff. Yeah. Yeah,
0: sorry about that.
1: Yeah, de- uh Lombardo's definitely better than Bostaff. Um mm-hmm. and uh so my my one gripe perhaps with the album is that the bass isn't quite prominent. Yeah. Not that, that not that, that really matters because the bass is pretty much Tom Araya playing the rhythm guitar part, but still you could you could use some moments like on Helloweights where the bass is just a little beefier and more prominent. But other than that, I have no problems with Rain and Blood.
0: You know, I find it kind of funny that metal has grown to be a genre where, you know, the bass is like kind of an afterthought. Because two of the biggest metal bands of all time, and of course the founder of metal, uh Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden, both of them have fans. The so like my th- and Metallica. Yeah, Metallica too for a little while. Uh, for yeah. a little while, at least. The only, uh... <laughs> um, but like for Iron Maiden, by far my favorite part of Iron Maiden is the bass. I know everybody loves uh, Bruce and they love Adrian, but the bass is just mm, spicy. It seems like everyone took
1: a took a page from the Judas Priest school book of just kind of having the bassist be there. Yeah, it was like it was like, well, these guys are doing great. Let's just uh let's just ignore our bassist, because our bassist sucks compared to uh, Geezer and Steve. Mm -hmm. And don't forget Lemmy. Oh yeah, Lemmy of course. Yeah, Lemmy basically led with the bass on half their shit.
0: Pretty much. So anyway, what did you want to talk about now? So, now that we've been in 2020 for a few months now, uh, we've had a lot of time to think over the last decade for Heavy Metal. And I feel like the last decade has been very important in the history of music as a whole. Yes, absolutely. Because of uh, because of the proliferation of things like Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Yes. Like not only has listening to various genres of music become more open, mm-hmm. it's become more open to even create music. And so because of that. Unfortunately for black metal fans. Yeah, right. Uh, band camp atmospheric black metal gets a little old. I was talking about Nazis, but yeah. Well, the Nazis have been part of the scene pretty much since the 90s. Yes, but not to this point. Yeah, and that's fair. But so anyway, uh, the new this last decade has seen a, a very large resurgence of uh, a lot of genre revivals, a lot of scene revivals, and you see a lot of experimentation happening. And so I wanted to uh, take today's episode to kind of celebrate the diversity of music and of heavy metal. And I wanted to uh, talk about our 10 favorite, well, 10 give or take favorite albums from the last decade. All
1: right. I'm going to start Paracletus by Death Spell Omega. Mm -hmm. And this album is fucking weird. It goes all over the place. It's bombastic. At times it's restrained. It's creepy. It, I believe, has has like six different languages vocals on it. I don't know, M- Miko Aspa. In addition to being, uh, I don't, uh, is he a pedophile? Does he just collect sketchy porn? Does he have? I don't. I don't fucking know. He's M- Miko Aspa kind of a douchebag. Let's just let's just leave it. Yeah, there. that's
0: he's, that's a good way to leave it. <laughs> he's. I, I, I don't. I don't know exactly what he's done, but
1: it's been some shady shit. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. And uh, um, but the argument that uh, uh, Deathspell Omega fans have have in their favor is, well, we didn't know he was so awful when we first hired him on as the as the vocalist, and people liked his sound, which, to be fair, is very distinct. So so we just let him. So we just let him keep going. He plays no songwriting. I don't even think he writes his own lyrics. But
0: yeah, he's very much a mercenary. All he does is.
1: He's he's a mercenary. Uh let's let's hire him, Emily. Let's get Miko Aspon vocals for our uh, aspiring Abbott. Let's let, let's metal get him process. to
0: do uh, the vocals for the next cobalt album.
1: <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> you know Caleb would be all oh, over it. Oh Caleb that shit. would be
0: all over it.
1: Caleb would be like, Oh my god, I get the edgiest motherfucker in black metal on my band. Sign me up. <laughs> oh,
0: I love Caleb.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Caleb. We're totally plugging our your uh your band and our uh, our podcast that has gotten barely any reach, but that we just do for fun every two weeks in case our friends want to watch it. Yeah, it's just fun. Uh, yeah, it's just fun. It's just fun to talk. I mean, might as well record our shenanigans that we have over the phone. You know. True.
0: And uh it really helps to yeah. keep me sane what with this lockdown, you know. Exactly. Yeah, so
1: um I really have no problems with this album. It goes it, it it goes a lot of different places that you would not expect. Um it returns to some musical passages that it previously had, but in slightly different ways. Like there's there's an epiclesis one and there's an epiclesis two and you can sort of tell which one is the second one because it uses sort of similar i don't know shit about music theories i'm talking about a fucking avant-garde yeah right yeah but um i i don't i don't think this album is very is very recommended if you're not if you're not already well into black metal, yeah, this like is if you're, if you're, very much an album. This is not an accept-
0: Sorry, you first.
1: This is not an accessible album. I'd say it's the obscura of black metal almost.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I'd say it's definitely an album for people who are already fans of black metal because often with like deconstructions of music, the only way to really appreciate it is if you're already familiar with what it's deconstructing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, Pericletus is definitely a tribute to everything that black metal isn't.
0: Exactly.
1: And it's one of the greatest albums of the 2010s. hmm So what did you want to talk about first?
0: Okay, so uh, going off of your sketchy black metal, I'd also like to talk about a bit of sketchy black metal. Uh, so, All right, lovely. So this decade, like we talked about before, has seen a very big rise in atmospheric black metal uh huh. and so i wanted to talk about what i feel is the best example of this new wave of atmospheric black metal this sort of you know dreamy synth laden wave uh so i want to talk about uh severoth from ukraine in 2017 they released forest paths which is a it's a raw atmospheric black metal album but the rawness of the black metal is contrasted with a dreamy synthesizer. Interesting.
1: I have never heard this one. So, uh, educate me on it.
0: So it, uh, it, it tries to evoke a feeling of walking around in the woods on a winter night. And I feel like it accomplishes that to a T because the harshness of the black metal, it's, it's grating and it's abrasive. You know, that kind of gives you that cold feeling that you get from a lot of black metal. In fact, uh, you hear a lot of inspiration from Dark Throne and Burzum in the uh, black metal sections. Sounds like it's right up my alley. It probably is. I'm not sure. I don't know what kind of black metal you usually listen to. But so, uh,
1: this... I listen to I listen to Philosophem and Under a Funeral Moon on at least a bi-weekly basis. Valid, valid. So,
0: so uh, if you fl- listen to Philosophem a lot, you kind of understand how, like, a dreamy synthesizer can help things a little bit, like with the song Dunkelheit.
1: Yeah, Dunkelheit was even made into a meme. This is so sad. Let's Alexa play Dunkelheit. Yeah,
0: so this album kind of takes the philosophy of that song and cranks it up to an 11. The synthesizer creates like a foresty soundscape that kind of encompasses your entire mind and overtakes the black metal but in a way where you can still hear the black metal so this dreamy soundscape it contrasts with the black metal and it makes you feel cold and yet there's a sort of warmth and a comfort inside your heart if you know what I mean yeah I know what you mean so it's it's very melancholic, it's very dreary It's very it's very cold and I know that these are Terms very often used to describe black metal, but frankly, I can't Uh think of a better term to use. It's just wonderful. Uh, So, yeah, I would definitely recommend listening to the song Eyes of Winter at some point. I think that's the name of the song. Mm -hmm. But uh, unfortunately, Severoth is signed to Werewolf Promotion. And if you know anything about black metal, you've probably heard of Werewolf Promotion. They're a bunch of fucking shuds. Yeah, they're like Nazi Nazis. Like, Yeah, they're like Iron Cross,
1: unironic motherfucking Nazis. Like Nazi. Iron
0: Cross, Aryan Legion, werewolf, blah, blah, blah. All that LARPer bullshit. That we're only not wearing
1: overt swastikas on ourselves because it would be too obvious. Pretty much, the Iron Cross has just become a swastika dog whistle. Yeah,
0: it's a uh, it's swastika light. <laughs> great value brand. Yeah, exactly. Swastika.
1: I mean, then again, these these people in general are great value Nazis.
0: True, the actual Nazis would kick their asses, right? <laughs> exactly, the actual the actual
1: Nazis would have been like, oh, uh, we're just gonna uh, raid your meth lab and then shoot all of yeah, you. Yeah,
0: I find it hilarious that. Like all of these neo Nazis are obsessed with like basically edgy guitar music from the '90s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you want to reject modernity or whatever the fuck these Nazis want to do, don't do it with black metal. Do it with like folk yeah, music, don't... like like the cool neo Nazis. <laughs> no, yeah, no, the dungeon no, and... cool neo Nazi is probably not the right phrasing but like yeah like the the nazi neo folk dudes like death in june and all those dudes they're at least not pathetic looking you know what i mean they're not running around yeah. in makeup talking about degeneracy destroying the west
1: yeah i once got into an argument with a with a nazi who was talking about uh gas chambers and i was like bitch You'd be the first one in there with that anime profile picture you have.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Nazis with the anime profile pictures. Like
1: it's all a bunch of larpy shit. Like for
0: people who talk about degeneracy so often, these people are like the peak of what they call degeneracy or whatever. I mean, what else would you call like larping as Vikings and? Pretending to be werewolves and putting runes in your Facebook name—cringe. That's
1: what you're I not a fucking
0: it. werewolf. You just don't shave. <laughs> ha!
1: Oh wait, that's at me.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so a bit. So back on topic. Uh, Forest Paths by Severov, great atmospheric black metal album. Uh, great music but not a great dude so probably don't buy it. Unfortunately, I bought one of their albums before I realized, oh wait, these dudes are sketchy. So, I wouldn't recommend buying their music, but if you want some atmospheric black metal to listen to, why not pirate it? Of course, that's a joke. We we don't we don't condone crimes on this podcast.
1: Yes. This is a wholesome family show, fuck. This is a Christian um, show. Yes, fuck. Um so speaking of sketchy black metal, let's talk about "Exercises in Futility" by
0: GuA. Man, we're just going full Nazi now. Yeah, I promise y'all.
1: Uh, if you if you wanna, um, skip to the part where we're not talking about Nazis. Uh, we don't have a fucking timestamp, so too fucking bad. Anyway, so uh, this is
0: the last mention of Nazis, though. Probably. Yes, this is this is the last
1: <laughs> mention of Nazis. Um. So this is an album that is very second wave-y, but it's much more melodic than the second wave, than most of the second wave. It sort of strikes a, a balance between the, the darkness of mayhem and the melody of dissection.
0: Yeah, I feel like, I feel like uh, Maguire kind of sounds like a combination of like the nocturnal silence with demister stone satana with storm of the lights bane
1: yeah i can see that but the point is that this album just it's it's riff after riff after riff after riff after riff there's there's almost no downtime for you to for you to relax on this album it's definitely an album to listen to if you want an album to hold your attention for 42 minutes because it just does not stop. It just Mm -hmm. keeps going. It keeps riffing. And I like my black metal very riffy. So that's why I like it so fucking much. It, it isn't, it, it definitely has gotten a lot of praise over the years. RateYourmusic.com even has it as its number one album of 2015 in metal at least. And so it it's probably it's probably um in your radar. You've probably heard of this. And um I of course do not recommend buying it. Um because M is a sketchy motherfucker who gives money to Adam waffen and shit. Um but I mean Spotify or Bandcamp uh, hit that shit up because let's be honest these Nazis are more salty about their shit getting streamed than than, than you just pirating their shit Berzim's, Varg said it himself that he finds it more insulting when someone streams one of his albums than when they pirate it and I would extrapolate yep. that sentiment to other Nazi fuckers
0: so, yeah, y'all heard it from the man himself. Uh, go on Spotify listen to as much Burzum as possible.
1: Exactly. It'll piss Varg off. Yeah, and pissing off Varg is a very good thing, I think we can all agree. Um, oh, yeah.
0: At least so, it'll get us more cringe on his YouTube channel, right? So, so
1: the But the funny thing is, this album is actually very danceable at points, especially during Part 4. It just kind of makes me want to just just shuffle around like a fucking idiot and i'd totally play it ironically at a dance party you know like all right yeah exercises in futility four if you want a song to dance to um i'd say go for it so uh what do you want to talk about next
0: um so i guess next i'm gonna talk about a a bit of power metal all right so I want to talk about uh, one of an album by my favorite band of all time, Elven King. All right. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Elven King has kind of been a staple in the Italian power metal scene for a very long time. Uh, well, not a very long time. They they were, they were introduced themselves around 2001. Uh, their early sound is very much like Skyclad and, you know, classic folk metal like that. But over time they adapted much more of a of a traditional power metal sound while sticking to their folk roots. And over time they've really shifted their sound around and dis- diversified. No two of their albums sound quite alike. And I feel like their 2017 album Secrets of the Magic Grimoire is sort of an amalgamation of all of their different work put together.
1: I see. I still need and, uh, to check this one out, given just how hyped you have it up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I probably overhype it a little bit, just because I'm a very large fan of this And I band. don't
1: overhype the next album I'm going to be talking about, please. Oh, you definitely do. But, you know. <laughs> I'm, sure you, so, I'm sure you've already guessed what the next album I'm going to talk about is.
0: Um, not going to lie, I don't know which one you're going to talk about. All right, well, but,
1: you're not going to be surprised at all when I do.
0: Yeah, probably not. But so uh, Secrets of the Magic Grimoire is a fusion of traditional power metal and uh, very bouncy, fun folk metal. Now, I know that kind of sounds like, you know, like Corpaclani and shit like that, but it's very much rooted in power metal. And so this album has a good mixture of all of the different flavors of power metal. You've got some black metal influence. You've got some old school heavy metal influence, uh, some thrash metal. It really differs between song to song. And I feel like there's a little bit of everything for anybody to listen to. Uh, Some songs have more folk. Some songs have less folk. And all of the different folk influences kind of come from different places Though, being folk metal, it's all from Europe, of course. Yeah. Uh, You have very, very somber tracks, like The Wolves Will Be uh, Howling Your Name. You have uh, very energetic, thrashy, almost Dragon Force-feeling songs, like uh, At the Court of the Wild Hunt. And you have uh, an interesting song at the beginning, the opening track Invoking the Woodland Spirit, which... Has a, It has a choir backing the song the entire time, and there's, you know, very mystical and fantasy-feeling synthesizers throughout. It almost feels like Nightwish, but done well. And uh, so this, this song fulfills this very epic fantasy, high adventure feeling, and it. it starts the album on a very high note, on a very uplifting, energetic note, and that energy while it wanes throughout it's it never loses your attention because of the sheer diversity of the entire album and uh sprinkled throughout the album are a couple of pure folk moments and the folk moments are they're nice enough it's nothing to write home about but if you want a fun little folk jig to maybe bop around to there you go right uh but there's also a lot of uh melodic, melodic death metal bits kind of strewn throughout Uh, On the second track, Dragon's Maelstrom, the chorus is a, uh, it's a duet between the harsh vocalist for the band, whose name I don't know, I believe he's just a studio hire, and the lead vocalist, uh, David Amora, and their voices kind of bounce off of each other to create a really uplifting melody that's Mm -hmm. also got a bit of harshness to it for, you know, some good heavy metal energy. kind of uh, a contrast
1: there sounds cool
0: yeah like a contrast uh and so one of the big strengths of this band is that all of the different members kind of came from a different place musically some of them came from black metal some of them came from power metal some from traditional heavy metal and uh i think one of them was actually in a post-grunge band at some point
1: huh yeah nickelback core in a fucking power metal band interesting
0: so, you don't hear much of the Nickelback kind of shit in there, but what you do hear is, you know, a bit of a deviation from the norm of generic power metal. The The songs give you room to breathe very often, and so it's not a particularly intense and overpowering album. You can listen to the entire thing, and you're not going to be like, oh, oh my god, what was that, while you're, when you get to the end of it. Uh, yeah, so, I... I got that. And uh, one thing that's very nice about this album as compared to other power metal bands is you can actually hear the bass, and the bass is incredibly well performed. So if you're a fan of power metal, if you're a fan of folk metal, if you just want something new to listen to, listen to Secrets of the Magic Grimoire by my favorite band on Earth, Elven King.
1: All right, so I'm going to jump off of uh, that power metal thing and go into a different kind of power metal i'm going to talk about unyielding by eternity's end which is could could best be described i believe emily herself has described it as dragon force but good but i think there's so much more than that
0: oh definitely
1: i think this band just has songwriting chops for days uh phil tugas and christian munster go perfectly as a guitar duo um the a lot of power metal is very vocally driven this is a straight up guitar album all throughout Mm -hmm. the guitars are what is being focused on and oh boy are they doing some interesting things oh and the keyboards too the there's a bonus track in the japanese version that has 13 solos in less than five minutes
0: oh that sounds uh, a bit overwhelming not gonna lie yeah, it's pretty fucking intense.
1: Um, unfortunately, it didn't hit the U.S. version, but oh well. Uh, gotta yeah. buy one of those imports that was one of those weird-ass albums that had two separate release dates. December 26, 2018, which would have been a fucking bizarre release date for, a, for an album in the U.S. I mean, releasing an album the day after Christmas? Not the best idea marketing-wise. Um, but it ended up being released on March 22nd, 2019. And I heard it for the first time and I was shocked. I thought, well, what, this is not. Th- what, how is this so good? Why, why do I want to immediately listen to this again? I didn't, this came out of nowhere. And so I just kept listening to it again and again and again, noticing all the details. And it just, it hits you so hard all throughout. The hooks. The hooks are fantastic. Every, every note on this album is played perfectly. They managed to get a super group together, or at least um something of a super group together. You'd probably heard of Hannes Grossman and you've mm-hmm. probably heard of Michael Pond from uh, Symphony X, but they got Hannes Grossman and Phil Tugas on the same goddamn album. They got the drummer who's on everything and they got the guitarist who's on everything and they got them to play a technical power metal band, which is not something either of them are really used to. I don't think, but it works. It could be described as a power metal for tech death nerds in a way. Um, So uh,
0: I actually feel like that's really one of the biggest strengths of this album because you know, the, the guitarists and the drummer, they, they've all got a very long history in technical death metal. And so I feel like by deviating away from technical death metal, the their styles don't really clash with one another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like off, often in supergroups, uh the styles of the different uh, players really kind of bounce off of each other in an awkward way. But here, because everybody is trying something kind of new they all create kind of their own new sound and they all experiment together rather than separately. And so I feel like it's a, uh, it's just a really nice breath of fresh air to power metal.
1: H- Hannes and, uh, and Christian have even worked together before.
0: Oh yeah, they have forgot about that.
1: Yeah. On, on, uh, on Octavarium, uh, they both work together. Mm-hmm. That album is uh, fantastic. Unfortunately didn't make this list, but I was considering it. Um can't say I've listened to Octavarium. So I mean I, I highly recommend this album. If you if you like faster power metal, if you like technical death metal, you'll probably enjoy this album. If you have good taste, you'll probably enjoy this album. Mm-hmm. Um it's just all around it just it's all the right notes, except their vocalist is a bit spotty at times. Yeah, but- if
0: you listen to power metal for the vocals, then maybe this album isn't quite for you. But otherwise, it's pretty much like a perfect specimen of what you could ask for in a, tech- in a technical power metal album. Not a neoclassical power metal album. There, There's an important distinction there.
1: Yeah, it definitely doesn't focus nearly as much on just pure shredding. It's... Very, very riff-focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about next?
0: Okay, so uh, I'm actually going to talk about two things real quick, because I uh, just kind of want to get our power metal out of the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we, we've uh-huh. been talking about a lot of power metal. And so uh, for my next spot, I couldn't actually just pick one band here. So I mm-hmm. actually have two selections from the Japanese neoclassical power metal scene. Uh one of which All right, go one of it. which many people will likely already be familiar with. In fact, I know you will be. Uh it's Angel of Salvation by Galnerius. Hell yeah. So most people who listen to Power Metal already knew, know who Galnerius is, so you're not gonna get too much from this. But for those unfamiliar, Galnerius is pretty much the original neoclassical Japanese power metal band. Uh, they take a lot of influence from all of the classics of power metal, most notably uh, Halloween and Rhapsody. And so they mix together these styles of, you know, thrashier riff driven power metal with the neoclassical noodling and synths of bands like Rhapsody.
1: Seems like there should be some Ingvy influence in there too, if they're going to play this so fast.
0: Uh, there definitely is some Ingve influence, but that influence is kind of more secondhand because I feel like their primary influence is uh, Luca Turilli of Rhapsody and Luca uh-huh. really kind of took Ingve's style and turned it into its own genre. You know what I mean? Ah, yes. Uh, Luca being the guitarist for Rhapsody now known as Rhapsody of Fire. Uh, Rhapsody sounds so
1: much cooler than Rhapsody of Fire. Yeah,
0: they had to change their name in I think 2006 for legal reasons. It's so lame. Yeah, it's kind of a lame. Fuck name. the law. True. I've I've got a patch and I I keep the original name. <laughs> but so nice. But so uh, Angel of Salvation. Fuck the police. True. Uh, so Angel of Salvation is very much, in my opinion, the peak of Galnarius's style. Uh, they've they haven't really changed their sound too much over the years. They've just kind of perfected it, and I believe that the peak of that perfection is in Angel of Salvation, because it's still very much a heavy riff-driven power metal album, but you also get lots of soaring melodies from the vocalist whose name I can't remember, and the uh, yeah. the keyboards which give which use a. Uh, <coughs> They use tones from, you know, string instruments, from trumpets. It sounds like an orchestra in the background, but this orchestra really doesn't overwhelm the heavy metal in the same way that bands like, say, Nightwish or Rhapsody do. Instead, Mm -hmm. it's very much a power metal album with orchestral bits to back it up and to give it... (laughs) to fill it in and make it a bit more of a complete experience you know what I mean yeah and in addition to that the songwriting on this album is just fantastic uh the first two tracks reach for the sky and promised flag have uh one of the most catchy choruses I've ever witnessed uh the riff it's it has one of those riffs that sort of follows the vocal melody in the chorus and because of that it's it's very uplifting it's very powerful it's very triumphant and uh kind of a fun fact the main single off this album hunting for your dream was licensed to funimation to be used as the outro song to the anime hunter hunter interesting so that's kind of the main way a lot of people have discovered Galnarius, you know through anime and that's a valid enough way to listen yeah, to a band but I've been a fan of them since before I got into anime. I just love me some power metal, and uh, the final track on the album, the also the title track "Angel of Salvation," is so good. It's a Thirteen minute epic. It's soaring. It's orchestral. The chorus will have you in tears. Every part of it is perfect. If you want a textbook perfect example of neoclassical power metal, you can do no better then angel of salvation by galnerius heavily recommended
1: uh all right so what was the next one you wanted to talk about So, the
0: next one is a bit of a newcomer to the neoclassical scene uh they're a band called unlucky morpheus fronted by fuki kulmine who is a bit of an idol when it comes to japanese power metal she's similar to pop idols but Uh, Rather than performing in pop bands, she almost exclusively fronts power metal bands. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people talk about how cute she is. And to be fair, she is cute. But I couldn't give a shit. And I think it's kind of gross to talk about how cute she is rather than her as a musician and as a person. But that's a tangent for another time. Uh
1: Normalize doing the same shit to men, so that they get so so that they stop. T- so I don't know. Normalize doing the same shit to men.
0: All I'm gonna say is, female-fronted metal is not a fucking genre. Fuck everybody who uses the label, and fuck these labels for marketing women as a fucking commodity for men to drool over. It's not respecting women. Especially
1: art It's not especially yeah. arch enemy.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I'm just kind of talking in general. Uh, I think Floor Jansen of Nightwish talked about it a while ago. It's not respecting women to create female fronted heavy metal as a genre. It's condescending, it's marketing, and it's a bunch of bullshit. So if you want to support women in the heavy metal scene, just include them. Don't make it like this phenomenon. So... Uh, sorry about that tangent. I uh, I actually recently wrote a paper about misogyny and female-fronted metal, but uh. So back to the band, Unlucky Morpheus is a relatively recently formed neoclassical band, and uh, they mix a lot of influences from outside of neoclassical. Uh, you get a lot of pop influence in the vocals and in the structure of a lot of songs. Uh, you've got influence from a lot of alternative metal, uh, no, most notably the Deftones. Hmm. Yeah, uh, their bassist is very clearly a fan of albums like White Pony. And uh, there's also ample influence from not melodic death metal, but like old school traditional death metal.
1: Ah, so like
0: obituary and shit like that? Um, I guess a bit closer to like... I guess more more closer to death. You know what I mean? Like in the crossover between leprosy and symbolic. But so uh, you these influences all mixed together to create a really interesting album in their 2017 or 2018 first full-length release, Change of Generation. Now this is an incredibly diverse album. You have your usual neoclassical, I guess, riff fests. But you've also got some more interesting tracks like Spartan Army, the instrumental track on the album. Uh, This track is kind of weird because the drums and the drumming patterns are very much uh, from early metalcore, you know, with it's almost kind of mathcore with the drumming, you know, like Botch and Converge and Cave In. And uh, Mm -hmm. the lead guitar on this track is replaced at many points by an electric violin but the violin doesn't really play violin parts. It plays riffs. Like the parts that they write for this violin are not made for classical music. You could play it on a guitar and it would sound perfectly fine in a heavy metal song. And so that's, Mm -hmm. you know, a really interesting experience. And uh, about like about halfway through the song, everything stops as you get into a slap bass solo followed by a breakdown and a violin solo all clashing at once wow that sounds fantastic it is intense it is weird and it's one of the best songs i've ever heard and even on the rest of the album while it doesn't reach the same highs as the experimentation on this track it is definitely made up for by fuki's wonderful vocal performance she has an amazing range she has great power uh, she does use vibrato a lot, which is, you know, something a lot of Japanese metal bands use. So if you're not a big fan mm-hmm. of, like, vibrato belting, maybe you won't like her vocals, but I'm a big fan of them. Uh, if mm-hmm. So if you want some experimental power metal and almost avant-garde power metal, uh, Unlucky Morpheus is definitely a really cool place to start. So uh, I, I cede the floor to you.
1: So now I'm going to talk about Sunset on the Golden Age by Alestorm. another sort of power metal album It's mostly, it's like a fusion of folk and power metal. And it is just a fun goddamn album. It is so much fun from the opening track, Walk the Plank, which has a very stirring chorus. Well, really all the choruses on this album are very stirring. And it's even got a cover of Hangover by Tao Cruz. Now, how a pop rap album ended up getting covered by a folk power metal band and having it work. Astounding job, boys. Astounding job. Yeah, they definitely they, put their they own have,
0: spin on it, you know?
1: They have their epics here, 1741, and the title track, Sunset on the Golden Age. I personally prefer 1741 because it goes in so many different directions. It even features a harsh vocal part. I don't know who does the harsh vocals, but the, the guy who did it should sort of consider being in a death metal band because he sounds really fucking good, or at least a metalcore band. Actually, I mean, something that uses harsh vocals. I think
0: it's the guy who does the keyboard who does the harsh vocals. Really? Well, the dude should join a metalcore band. I think he did uh, some black metal at some point, actually. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, he does the harsh vocals for all of their albums, and they're pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, he's pretty damn good. I'm I'm um, not a fan of, you know, uh, jokey, gimmicky folk metal, but Ailstorm really does have the songwriting to back it up. Like you were saying before, They've got very fun, very punchy choruses that are just impossible to resist singing along to. Uh, When I saw them in, Mm. I think, 2017, you know, I was literally singing along the entire time. So was the entire crowd. Ailstorm may not be the greatest band in the world, but goddamn do they know how to write a fun song. They're like the ACDC of power metal. They are
1: like the AC/DC of Power Metal in a way, although I would argue that they're better than ACDC. But that's just me. I, I think I think another highlight of the album actually is the introduction of "Quest for Ships," where it sort of it it doesn't really it it sort of um, underscores the rest of the song. Um, it sort of builds up. You would not expect it to be some kind of more of an anthem, just like the rest of the songs on the album. Um, I don't know. It's so I I, I love it when intros sort of completely counterpoint the rest of the song. Like this album has a song called "Drink" on it, and You've probably heard it at some point. It, it's a pretty popular song to show people who've never heard Ale Storm
0: before. Yeah, and you've probably got a like lot of friends sharing song. it to their Facebook page occasionally.
1: Uh huh. I've done it before. Um, it's got a pretty fun
0: music video, too.
1: Oh, yeah. So does that new one, Treasure Chest Party Quest. Ale <laughs> the
0: only power metal band to ever have good music videos yes god power metal music videos are just embarrassing yes totally embarrassing i gotta show you the one to uh reign of a thousand flames by rhapsody sometime oh no it's so bad i bet i mean
1: and you've got songs like um god what's the other one um wooden leg oh wooden legs a wooden lot of fun. legs just wooden legs just a straight up like hardcore punk thrash type song it just sort of just it's like a repetitive chorus type thing sort of like metallica's free speech for the dumb almost wait or the cover of that oh okay i, I was about to say that.
0: free speech for the dumb is a discharge song yeah, the discharge song. A lot of fun too. I love um, that song. Yeah,
1: it's sort of like that in that and then and then it goes into this this sort of like at sea type shanty shit mm-hmm. with uh Hey, you Japanese bastards. And, oh, yeah. and, it, and it's the basically ninjas. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Oh, I forgot yeah, about that. There's fucking there's fucking
0: ninjas in an All song. Well, I mean, there was also that uh song Back Through Time where they uh they fight Vikings. Mhm. I don't know. Their their lyrics are all Either win or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're one of the goofiest bands to ever make it that big. And then there's the title track, which is just absolutely epic it takes so much it takes its time it has a fantastic chorus and it doesn't it it seems at first that it doesn't really go anywhere if you listen to it once you might not be that impressed by it but on repeat listens you realize that this is a really well written song and while it's more subdued than the rest of the album it it just serves as a perf- a perfect bookend to this album. Sort of... And it sort of uh, reflects how the album is sort of unexpected mm-hmm. in general. I mean, their previous material um, was pretty straightforward. Just power folk metal. But I think that Sunset on the Golden Age sort of Reflects their apex in that way because it does because their previous albums didn't have two epics now um, that I recall, Sunset has two epics. Yeah. Um, and they're like one in the middle of the album and the other at the end, so it's almost like you get an intermission between between two epics, the two halves of the album. Yeah. Not like an intermission properly, but like, but like it sort of gradually builds back up and then crescendos into this final track. Now, anyway, uh, I'm going to cede the floor back to you.
0: Uh, Okay. So what do you want me to talk about next? Do you want me to do some more folk metal or something else? More folk metal sounds good. Cool. So I'm going to talk about uh, Elevate's album from last year. Atignatos. So, uh, Atignatos is very much a return to form when it comes to Elevates music because they had a bit of a musical clash with Anna Murphy. Or is it Anna Murphy? Yeah, it's Anna Murphy. Uh, I was thinking of Amy Lee from Evanescence. Uh, But so.
1: Wouldn't that be funny?
0: Well, they, funny enough, they're pretty similar uh, musicians. But so, Anna's songwriting and her kind of style has been uh very much changing the sound of Elevati ever since she's joined the band uh kind of reaching its peak on their album uh everything remains as it never was but uh, a couple years ago she and a couple of members of Elevati split from the band and they hired a new uh vocalist Fabienne something i don't remember her last name i'm sorry But but so uh, they've very much returned to their old sound while incorporating new elements into it uh, because they've always been a melodic death metal band at heart, but they've really leaned into metalcore influences recently. You've got a lot of, you know, Slaughter of the Soul inspired riffs. You've even got breakdowns during a couple of these songs. Interesting. Interesting thankfully the entire album isn't just you know metalcore with violins it's uh it's pretty diverse at points there's a lot of sections that remind me of uh of motorhead there's a couple of power metal sounding sections there's some very marching beat sounding bits it's it's kind of a mixture of all of the different sounds from all of their different albums starting from Spirit going all the way into Helvetios and even into a bit of their Origin sound.
1: Now, I know you don't like Origin. It's
0: uh, it's probably my least favorite Helveti album if we're being honest. I don't hate it but I feel like they didn't do much folk on that album. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it was pretty much just a straight up melodic death metal band. Uh, yeah
0: so this album really takes the straightforward mellow death of that album with the folk jigs of their earlier albums and it really creates a 50 50 fusion of folk music and melodic death metal which is what they've tried to do from the start and what they've perfected here and if you want an example of this just listen to the song death walker it's an absolute headbanger goes hard as fuck and the folk the folk instrument breakdown parts if for lack of a better term really serve as a good way to punctuate that song and i'd say it's almost like the best example of elevati songwriting mm-hmm. so elevati you know have been a very prominent name in folk metal for a really long time and it's great to see them return to form and really come into their own. So, uh, I yeah. highly recommend listening to uh, "Atignatos" by ov
1: Yeah, and it's a damn shame I had to miss him on that last tour, so I couldn't have to kick someone else's ass in a mosh pit.
0: Yeah, I saw them uh, last year for the first time, and I think I talked about this in an earlier episode, but, like, I straight up cried. <laughs> Like, I pushed my way to the front of the crowd, and I cried when they came on because they're so important to me. They uh, they were really a big influence on me growing up. The next album I'm going to talk about
1: is probably the least popular album on this list. On my list, I'm going to talk about The Last Witness by Zealotry. All right. Now, this album is... Absolutely monstrously intricate in its construction.
0: Absolutely. The
1: the band leader of this band has so many different influences. He draws from everything from Vedwin Zen to Gorguts to Demilich to Adramilech to The Chasm to Immolation to even I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if The Wiggles had been one of his fucking influences. You know
0: what? I might ask um, him sometime. Ha!
1: He'll probably be like, uh, you fucking mad, bro? <laughs> um. Yeah, but um, it's a really weird sort of I would not call it progressive death metal album, but um... I would just call it death metal. It's not old school death it's not old school death metal. It's not progressive death metal. It's not technical death metal. It's just its own kind of death metal. You, I'd it,
0: just call it experimental to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's kind of avant-garde death metal because, in a way. It doesn't really Well but
0: like unlike technical and avant-garde death metal. It's very much rooted in old school, traditional death metal. It kind of experiments within those boundaries. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's sort of like... It's almost like if they took The
1: Chasm and Demiwitch. Mm-hmm. Two bands that are completely different, but... somehow manages to mix their sounds. Like, oh, God, if if any of the band members hear this, they'll be like, Tim, you fucking idiot. Oh, yeah. You're not describing our music.
0: Go at all, off, Tim.
1: You know what? Fuck them. Okay, I worship the ground that this album stands on. I, I used to a lot more, but there are just so many moments on this album that just come out of nowhere. It It uses... It pretty much invented the term, it pretty much um, revitalized the term counterpoint in um, underground uh, riff discussion communities, for lack of a better term. Yeah,
0: I get that. Like, legit, in 2016, there was not a day where I didn't hear you raving about this album.
1: No, it was more 2018. Was it
0: 2018?
1: Yeah, we weren't friends in 2016. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Nobody was friends with me in 2016. It was a dark time in my life. Yeah. Um, but there's a track in this song called Progeny Omega. It's in the middle of the album. It never really gets that particularly heavy. Or like that particularly fast. It sort of just builds up and builds up. And then you hit this part where the vocalist they hired on the album, I don't even know what his fucking name on Facebook is, but they hired a uh a choral singer for it. And he does choral vocals during the climax of Prodigy Omega. Mm-hmm. And it's just perfect how it works. Um and then you have the build-up to um, the bass solo. It's a bass solo with a build-up oh, to I it. I love bass solos. On, uh, on the title track of uh, The Last Witness, there's a build-up to a bass solo. And it just works perfectly. And I will say this album is a lot more subdued than you would expect from your typical death metal fare. It's definitely not usually a very aggressive album, which probably turns off a lot of people. It's definitely a lot more, uh, requires a lot more thinking. Yeah, it's it's a very thoughtful album. The guitar tones on this album are spectacular. Um,
0: Yeah, very good production throughout.
1: Yes, yes, especially for uh, relatively amateur producers. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to say I highly, highly, highly recommend The Last Witness. Um, so support um, Jake, or not Jake. Uh, just give your fucking money to Phil Tugas. I mean, he's fucking Phil Tugas. He's he'll, fucking he'll get a cut Tugas. of that money. He'll get a cut of that money if you if you buy The, Latin, the Last Witness. Just give him some fucking money, man. He deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. That's it for that. Now, what do you want to talk about next?
0: Okay, so next I'm going to veer off of metal a little bit and talk about another release from Japan. Uh, so there's an experimental new project called Hizuru, which released their only album in 2017. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Hizuru on. is a collaboration between... Uh, I don't entire. I don't remember their names, but uh, a somewhat prominent Japanese jazz group and a uh, a Japanese folk group. So it's very much a blend of these two styles of contemporary, calm, soothing, like coffee table jazz, with very mystical sounding Japanese folk music, and the two genres. They blend them very organically uh, by, rather than playing two different songs at the same time, they write one song using instruments and scales from the two genres. So you have saxophone and you have piano from the jazz, but you also have zithers, you have uh, flutes from Japanese folk music, and you have very traditional Japanese singing and so it comes together to create a very dreamy, very mystical feeling album that's incredibly relaxing to listen to. Like if you pop on that album and get yourself a cup of tea, you will feel like the most hipster motherfucker on earth and it's going to be great. Hell yeah. And so the songwriting on this album kind of varies a bit because it bounces between the, the influences of jazz and folk from time to time. So on one on one song it'll have more folk, on a, another song it'll have more jazz. Sometimes it'll be pure jazz, sometimes it'll be pure folk, but most of the time it's that 50-50 combination. And so I because of that, while the song while the album is I think about an hour long, it really only feels like half an hour because the songs don't overstay their welcome and by the time they're over it's moving on to something new and something interesting. So, the entire time you're listening to this album, it's it almost fascinates you, and it makes you wonder what the hell they're gonna do next. That makes sense. It's also very great to fall asleep to.
1: Ah, uh, just like descended to depravity by dying fetus.
0: Um, gonna gonna be a no from me on
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, that actually happened once. Really. And then I woke up with a jar to the end. All right. So now I'm going to talk about the big ones. I'm going to talk about uh, dead congregations promulgation of the fall. And I'm also going to talk about... uh, Cruciamentum's Charnel Passages and Frontalith's Desolate Endscape at the same time because I feel that three albums largely accomplished, accomplished the same thing except that promulgation of the Fall did it first and best. So these are not your ordinary death metal albums. These are death metal albums for guys with balls. These albums hit you fucking hard from the start. They go, they they meander in unusual directions without necessarily without being noodly at all they just sort of transition expertly from one uh pulse pounding riff to the next um in the case of Propagation of the Fall which I feel is the strongest of these albums they even know we're exercise restraint they'll give you some kind of uh leeway between the bombastic bits that allow you to catch your breath a little bit and then something really fucking heavy will come in again. There's even a, a title track on this album that's just subdued all the way throughout, but then it picks up towards the end. Mm-hmm. And you don't expect this, but it's it sort of, you're, you're like, okay, this is going to be an instrumental throughout. And then it gets to the vocals while it's going over this really like I don't know if it's breakdowny or grindy or whatever the fuck it's called but it kind of just and then it just goes right into the next song which which starts off re- relatively subdued and then just goes off. Now there's one track on this album called Schisma which features ascending triplets at one point that sounds so delightfully sinister that i had to check my ears for a second to make sure that i was listening to music and not someone summoning the fucking devil in my living room
0: <laughs> all right and, goddamn uh
1: yeah so um i'm going to i'm going to say that if you if you think uh all incant all incantation uh, adjacent Death Metal is just a ripoff of Incantation. You could not be further from the truth. These three albums, I'm going to say Charnel Passages accomplishes roughly the same thing as uh, Promulgation of the Fall. It's just less diverse, I'd say. And Desolate Endscape is even heavier than Promulgation of the Fall. It might be the heaviest straight-up Death Metal album, not made by Autocrater. Another band you should definitely check out is Autocrater uh they're just heavy as fuck and so yeah i know that one was fast but i i i i don't want to just go like oh my god oh my god quintessions divide um so yeah anyway i'm gonna cede the floor back to emily all
0: right i will just say that uh if you like grimy death metal you know like tim said uh bands like incantation you really can't do much better than uh dead congregation when it comes to you know modern bands a lot of bands recently have been kind of worshiping incantation but there's a good reason for it you know they they were a they are a fantastic band they're still around i'm stupid uh
1: dead congregation though didn't really rip off incantation they sort of took what incantation had been doing on diabolical conquest and they sort of they sort of rolled with that. They sort, of, they sort of acted almost as a continuation of what people consider the, 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 um, the golden age of incantation, if that makes sense. Like they sort of continued where uh, Diabolical Conquest left off in a way.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're very much an evolution of incantation's early sound, whereas a lot of the new bands are basically just kind of ripping off incantation and throwing some Entune-style death and roll in there.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of lame.
0: Yeah, but, like, if you're a little sick of the new Death Metal revival, definitely give Dead Congregation a listen.
1: Alright, so what do you want to talk about next?
0: Uh, So, next, I'm going to be talking about uh, Cult of Luna collaborating with Julie Christmas to make Mariner a post-metal masterpiece. Now, I know you like a dawn to fear better, but I feel like uh-huh. this album works better as an emotional experience. Whereas a dawn to fear works well as, you know, a, a metal album, if you know what I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So, uh, cult of Luna have been producing post metal for a very long time. Now, if you don't know what post metal is, it's almost like atmospheric sludge metal, It was kind of pioneered by bands like Isis, Pelican, uh, and Neurosis. And so Cult of of Luna's take on this genre is very repetitive, very droning, and very anxiety-ridden. There's this constant Uh building of tension across this album where the, the chugging, pounding bass along with the spacey synthesizer really makes you constantly feel on edge like there's something about to go wrong at any point and there's an anxiety and attention constantly building which is made all the better by julie christmas's almost pained howling on this album she shrieks and she screams and it's it's haunting it's legitimately scary to listen to at some points wow yeah i agree but and It's it's a pretty haunting album and it's made even more haunting by julie's clean vocals which you know she starts a lot of these songs such as the wreck of the ss needle uh she starts this song with clean vocals but over the course of the song she it, it feels like she starts to lose her mind and lose her sanity as she describes you know the horrors that the the crew of this ship are experiencing their bodies turning inside out them all turning on each other like some lovecraftian nightmare this album very feel very much feels like a nightmare turned into musical form now If you don't like that kind of thing, I 100% understand, but I feel like this album captures a uniquely chilling and anxiety ridden feeling that no other album I've ever heard has captured. And this constantly building tension is made even better by the ends of the songs, which serve as a massive release of all the tension that's been building. And it's an explosive rush of emotion as the vocalist of Cult of Luna and Julie Christmas join together in an almost competition of anger and fury and anxiety and panic. And it it all comes together in a constantly mounting and building up You know, I keep saying it, but an anxiety and a panic. And when that panic is finally released, it's one of the most satisfying things I've ever heard in music. All right. That makes sense. Sorry for going a little, uh, going a little nerd there. No, no.
1: I just went the fuck off on a dead congregation. True,
0: true. So uh, with that nerding out of the way, I cede the floor to Tim.
1: All right, the next album I'm going to talk about is Phantom Antichrist by Creator. Oh, that's a bit of now, a controversial one. I know a lot of people. One. Now, yeah, probably the most controversial thrash metal album of the last 10 years. Would you say that's true? Um, I don't know, honestly. I'd say it's up there. But anyway, this, this album kicks ass throughout a lot of people compare it to Arch Enemy. I think that's a ridiculous comparison. This album rips Arch Enemy's best album, best materials, a fucking new one. It, it riffs so hard throughout. It has anthemic choruses. It doesn't, it knows when to switch it up. It doesn't just keep going in one direction. It's not, it's definitely not a monotonous album. It, it has ebbs and flows and a lot of people don't seem to like it because it's too like sugary for lack of a better word, but songs like civilization collapse riff just as hard as their early stuff. Um, and the way it ends with a, with a ballad, uh, until our paths cross again is just absolutely beautiful. It sort of, I I hate to suck Vector's dick again, but uh, it's sort of like a shortened version of Recharging the Void in that it sort of starts off really subdued and then gradually builds up and it it doesn't necessarily reach the crescendo level of Recharging the Void, which um, could be considered a culmination of uh, thrash within the last decade in a way. Although Terminal Redux is not on this list, spoiler alert. Okay. Um
0: that's that's a bit but, of a surprise.
1: Yeah, I I wanted to give a uh, couple of uh lesser loved thrash metal albums uh a shout out on this video. Good on you, man. So uh
0: this isn't a video so. so. <laughs> oh, yeah, vi- uh, we we know what you mean. Don't worry. Fuck it.
1: Fuck it. Um, so so yeah. Um, this is also a great album to sing along to in the shower, especially um, when you get to the parts that are sort of screamy because you can scare the shit out of your roommates. Like, what the fuck's going on in there, man? Yeah, right. Like like why why is he screaming about uh, about civilization collapsing and shit? I mean,
0: I sometimes sing along to Reverend Bizarre. Like in the shower too. Yeah, that, that probably weird. Yeah, that fam. must be interesting. That, yeah, probably.
1: Probably. So um yeah. And what another thing I love about this album is the intro track. It's so understated and it just doesn't give you an idea at all of what you're in for. And I feel like that's a thing that's very common. Like Surgical Steel did sort of the same thing the next year. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of albums have been doing that with uh intro track being completely calm and then the opening track just being uh a rager and Yeah,
0: there's de- that's definitely a running theme with some bands nowadays.
1: Yeah, it didn't used to happen as often.
0: I'm not complaining I though, notice. I love it.
1: I, yeah, I love it too. So yeah, um, I'd say the best song on the album is from "Flooded to Fire," though. Even though that's their mo- even though that's the most anthemic track on the album, it's just the solos in that song are absolutely marvelous. Um, you just have to hear them to believe them. But I I, I love the the chorus of this song. It's sort of it's sort of the least thrash metal song on the album, which is really ironic, but it just stuck out to me the most. So yeah, I'd I'd say that's about it for my uh for my raving about uh Phantom Antichrist.
0: Um so I guess I'll talk about uh a bit more of a traditional heavy metal album uh next. Uh-huh. So uh obviously In the past decade, we've seen a very big resurgence in sort of a revival of traditional old-school heavy metal. Very much inspired by the U.S. power metal scene, and especially uh, Manila Road. We've seen bands like Gatekeeper, Traveler, and the band I want to talk about today, Visigoth. Uh, They're a bit of a golden goose of the uh, trad revival nowadays, Uh, Nobody hates
1: on Visigoth if they do come over here and throw hands. Oh,
0: I know a couple of people who are not their biggest fan. Uh, But so, uh, I want to talk about their 2016 debut album, The Revenant King. It was 2015. Was it 2015? I thought it was 2016. It was 2015. Okay. Regardless, I want to talk about The Revenant King by Visigoth. Uh, So... I'd like to start out by saying, while this is a Manila Road worship album, it goes so far beyond that. Uh, The songwriting throughout this album, it's incredibly varied. You have doom metal songs, you have, you know, U.S. power metal songs, you have even European style power metal songs, and uh, you've even got songs that sound like Thin Lizzy, (laughs) Really? Yeah, I, I
1: forgot about that one.
0: Oh wait, no. The I'm thinking of Salt City, which is from Conquerors of. Uh, the song I'm talking about, oh, right, right. The song I'm talking about is Creature of Desire, which almost kind of sounds like Judas Priest. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so this song is much better on their 2014 demo, but regardless, it's a it's a very fun, very bouncy heavy metal song about girls, about motorcycles, about spiked leather, all the cheesy, dumb bullshit that we all love.
1: So it's Mechanics by Megadeth.
0: Sure. (laughs) And then you've also got uh, songs like Mammoth Rider, which have this very chuggy, forward-moving beat with a catchy chorus, catchy bridge, catchy verses. Everything about this song is catchy and fun. And uh, the song actually ends with a, with a cool Candlemas worship moment. Interesting. Uh, you've also got the main single, Dungeon Master, which of course is about everybody's favorite, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and so this song really feels like a perfect tribute to Manila Road. Uh, the, the riffing style is very fast, but not in a thrashy way. It reminds you of Necropolis off of Crystal Logic but with uh, better vocals which I'm actually a fan of Mark Shelton's vocals but Jake Rogers goes above and beyond with his vocals. Uh, and yeah,
1: Jake Rogers is awesome.
0: He is. Uh, he's also the guy behind uh, Caladan Brood and gallo Yep. Two fantastic atmospheric black metal projects.
1: Yeah, and, so, and Visigoth pisses off Jacob and Paul because they haven't gotten a new fucking. Um,
0: they haven't gotten a new Kaladan brood.
1: A new Kaladan brood, yeah.
0: But so, uh, Jake Jake Rogers' vocals on this are very, they're very boisterous. They're very bold. They're out there. They're very almost epic feeling. You know, he feels like a like a like a warlord calling out to his armies and while that's not everybody's cup of tea it fits very well with this hard-hitting true heavy metal album yes absolutely uh i'd also like to comment that the song from the arcane mists of prophecy is basically a power metal song but with the sensibilities of u.s power metal so it's like a blend of the two different styles of power metal. So that's a very interesting song to listen to for me, being a big fan of both scenes. So if you like All if right. you like heavy metal, if you're not a big fan of, you know, the modern heavy metal scene, Visigoth is a, a good nostalgia trip, a good window into, you know, the real classics of heavy metal, the underground classics the stuff you don't hear on the radio
1: all right well the next thing i'm going to talk about is not a metal album it is the powers that be by death grips which i understand that the the first disc of this album is known as uh, african americans on the moon um, I'm not gonna say the n-word in a in a fucking podcast. Fellas on the moon. That would be uh, bad optics. Um, yes, uh, comrades on the moon. <laughs> well, in fact, this album is absolutely massive. It's 80 minutes long. It does not feel like it's 80 minutes long. It's an 80-minute, completely absurd rap album with just. The vocals are very um avant-garde for lack of a better term. Um for those of you unversed in in uh death grips, MC Ride is not a conventional rapper at all. He does not really stay on two. He doesn't really stay on uh, on any particular beat. He kind of just he kind of just aggressively raps whatever's on his mind in sort of a staccato manner in a way. Um, his lyricisms are just completely ridiculous you'd need a fucking genius article to figure out what the fuck he's saying at the time like there's a part of this album where uh one of the lyrics is my favorite color is oh my god bitch <laughs> and there's probably something there's probably there's probably something deep behind that but there's another song called "I Break Mirrors with My Face in the United States."
0: That's probably my favorite on the album. Yeah, um, and Black Quarterback, and
1: then there's the song "Fuck Me Out," which is just—it's literally just a song about fucking. I mean, there's not much else to it.
0: Yeah, not really.
1: Um, I mean, and let's talk about Bjork and her influence on and her inclusion. As almost a, yeah, it pretty much is a collaboration with Bjork, the Mm -hmm. first half of this album, the aforementioned Comrades on the Moon. Um, She's essentially used as a fourth instrument. Yeah. Um, Other than uh, Zach Hill and uh, MC Ride and whoever the fuck their synthesizer guy is, I don't remember his name, but he does damn good work. Um, It's uh, Andy Morin. Ah, yes. She does a great job of sort of adding a counterpoint to uh um MC Rides' vocals um cuz there's really no um nothing to contrast MC Rides' vocals on their previous work so it sort of sort of adds a distinction that wasn't there on their previous album Yeah it's
0: definitely and like an evolution of their sound from be- before because while they have been experimental throughout their whole career, uh, they've been very straightforward with their songwriting. The the songs on this album sort of just flow into each other too. Um,
1: you could almost not even, you could listen to the first side of this album in one go and not necessarily know when one track bleeds into another. And it's not even a concept album, which is crazy. Um or is it? I don't know. It's just it doesn't bizarre. seem like it. It's just bizarre. It 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 feels like the first half of this album is one track, and I'm one of the people who thinks that the first half of this album is the better half. If I had to pick one Death Grips album, and you were splitting the two in half, I'd actually put Jenny Death, or or not Jenny Death, uh, Comrades on the Moon. I'd put that first. And then the money store. Um, uh, that's
0: fair. I really just love Bjork's work with Death Grips. I love it. I mean, she, it. She, she's, she's my favorite collab. pop artist of all time. So to hear her collaborate with somebody as great as Death Grips and help, and they really let her just kind of go loose. You know what I mean? Yeah, she went
1: completely fucking ape shit on this album. Yeah, it's it's peak um, Bjork.
0: And it's not even a Bjork album. Yeah, and she compliments the rest of the band.
1: I know you had uh, another collaboration earlier on your list. Uh, yeah, Cult of Luna. was it? Uh, Mar- Mariner. And I'd say um, that was a similarly high-quality collab. My only problem is the better half of the album is the much shorter part of the album. Mm-hmm. Because while Jenny Death is fantastic, it just doesn't reach the highs of songs like "Have a Sad, Calm Baby."
0: Oh, classic! True classic.
1: Yeah, every song "Say Hey, Kid" is is a song about not overdosing at parties. Yeah, on the same album as a song about uh, breaking faces. Breaking Mirrors with Your Face in the United States. Same album.
0: A true lyrical masterpiece.
1: It is a lyrical masterpiece. Tisk, 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 my terracotta army disowns me, disowns me. I I don't know what it means, but I'm sure it's deep. Um, So, anyway, what did you want to talk about next?
0: Uh, So, I guess I'll talk about some hip hop too. Uh, I had. All right. I actually had two hip hop releases. Uh, All right. So the first one is one that's been gaining a lot of popularity recently. Uh, JPEG Mafia is a relatively new name in the experimental hip hop scene. I've heard of them.
1: But uh, my ex.
0: But so with their last album, uh, All My Heroes Are Cornballs, uh, they've really gained a lot of popularity ever since that album came out. But. That's not what I'm going to be talking about today. Today, I want to talk about their 2016 album, Black Ben Carson. So uh, JPEG Mafia's lyrics have always been very politically charged without being, you know, overtly political, like an artist like The Coup would do. Uh, It's very much telling stories, and it's almost very funny and shitposty, but with an intention behind it. Mm-hmm. I mean even the name of the album Is a shit post with a message You know what I mean Black Ben Carson uh, ha. But so I'm not even just talking about the lyrics On this album though they are wonderful The beats throughout this album Are very influenced By industrial and glitch music In a similar way to Death Grips But they're almost a counterpart to yes. Death Grips Death Grips is, like, industrial with hip-hop, whereas uh, JPEG Mafia is hip-hop infused with industrial. So it's kind of a yin and yang situation you got going Ah. on there. Uh, So, you know, the music on this album is very disorienting, very glitchy, very high-energy and electronic, but it's still Mm -hmm. just, you know, solid-ass hip-hop when you listen to death grips you don't really listen to them for you know the same reason you would listen to say uh nas or wu-tang clan but with uh jpeg mafia there's a bit of a mainstream appeal in there because it is weird and it is out there but it's still recognizably rap you know what i mean yeah
1: yeah, death grips is kind of rap for people who don't like rap.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a reason people say uh, the only people who like death grips are metalheads.
1: I mean, it's kind of true. the only The only people
0: who like death grips are metalheads, or like weird indie kids.
1: Yeah, it's they're they're not. I, I have I have rap fans. Who are my friends? Who they just don't like death groups for some reason. I don't know why. It's totally
0: understandable not to like them, but with uh, with an artist like JPEG Mafia, there is a lot more for rap fans to appreciate. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Anytime, but that's the that's the other thing. Anytime, anytime a rap fan tells you I don't like rap, all rap sucks. Just be like, bra listen to death grips and shut the fuck up i mean
0: half the time people whine about rap it's usually some kind of racist bullshit you know ah they're all gangsters or ah they all talk about bitches and drugs or ah they're not musicians they just press buttons on a computer which is just proof that they haven't listened to anybody and they've kind of assumed it from the imagery of black guys wearing bling and then here's there's and then here there's Death Grips talking about
1: um, knowing the first three numbers of someone's area code
0: and uh, shooting pussy through your chest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Death Grips is about nothing and about everything. But so yeah, uh, and about uh,
1: and about fucking in the backseat. There's that brilliance. Yeah,
0: I mean, we haven't provided a very good example to disprove the whole all rap is about sex thing, but. The point still stands. We have proven, <laughs>
1: we have proven that, but we have proven that Death Grips is the best at being sexual about, about, about
0: rap. Yeah, horny, horny rap needs to be stopped.
1: <laughs> Except when it's Death Grips. Death Grips should make an entire album just about horny shit. <laughs> oh, wait, they already did that with No rv uh, plus. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so the next album I want to talk about is uh, another experimental hip hop album. It's Mr. Thug Isolation by Lil Ugly Mane. Now, uh, mm-hmm. so Lil Ugly Mane has actually been getting a lot of praise in metal groups recently. Why? I'm not entirely sure. But I appreciate it simply because it brought him to my attention. Uh, have you ever listened to Lil Ugly Mane? Uh, I don't think so. So Lil Ugly Mane is uh, hes a very prominent rapper in the uh, Memphis rap scene which is influenced mm-hmm. by old school horrorcore, most notably triple uh, six mafia, which is interesting uh-huh. because, you know, horrorcore, throughout its entire existence has taken a lot of cues, mostly in the aesthetics from heavy metal. And so it's got kind of a, a dual appeal there. But so I see. Uh, Lil Ugly Mane. he takes this, uh, this Memphis rap and this horror core and he adds other outside influences to it. He adds a little bit of trap. He adds a lot of jazz to it. And he's got pretty hilarious lyrics. I mean, we've been talking about funny lyrics the entire time. But, like, uh, Lil Ugly Man has lyrics about hooking up with nuns and shit like that. And uh, his most famous track, Bitch, I'm Morose and Lugubrious. Which is where I uh, get my Facebook alt name from. (laughs) Ah. Maybe I'll change my
1: Facebook name to Timothy Gothic Lemons. Oh
0: my god. (laughs) But so... uh, So... uh, Fucking... Mr. Thug Isolation really takes Memphis rap, it takes trap, and it takes jazz. And it fuses them all together in... An album that's kind of hard to listen to at points but when you get used to it and really get into what he's making you can really appreciate the intricacies of what he's done here and it's very much the end game of Memphis rap like if you've listened to Memphis rap before and then you listen to this this is I, I mean obviously as somebody who's not part of the scene it's probably not my lane to say this but i would call this album the epitome of horrorcore and the epitome of memphis rap now that may just be be because i absolutely love anything with jazz in it and will just cream myself over jazz but still (laughs) so one of the most notable parts about this album is that uh while the beats are still all electronic and produced on a drum kit Uh, all of the melodies and all of the samples are straight up jazz. Like it's not Mm -hmm. jazz influenced. It is jazz. (coughs) So it's very much a fusion of jazz and rap rather than jazz influenced rap. Like you see from artists like Kendrick Lamar in the mainstream.
1: I see. I see.
0: By the way, Kendrick Lamar is also amazing. Uh, Listen to good kid, mad city. If you haven't,
1: Listen to to Pimp a Butterfly as well. That
0: too. Um, so yeah. I think that's all of my hip hop releases. Uh do you want to talk about something right. else?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna talk about Milana Cosmata by Tripticon, an absolutely suffocatingly heavy um album from a Swiss band, actually. Um that's where Tripticon hails from. Hails from Switzerland, I guess.
0: Uh, um, interestingly, uh, it's the project of the former frontman and kind of leader of Celtic Frost. Uh, Tom yeah, Warrior. he
1: basically, uh, he basically just flat out disbanded Celtic Frost, and then decided, you know what, fuck it, I'm not done with music, so I'm just gonna make an even better band because he's one of the only ba- he's one of the only artists. I've ever heard of whose second project is better than his first.
0: Now I think I, I disagree. Third, I, guess. I think I disagree with that. But I will say that if you enjoyed uh, Celtic Frost's final album, Monotheist, uh Trypticon is very much an evolution on that sound and kind of a more mature version of Monotheist.
1: Yeah, Melodica's Mata doesn't ju- isn't just a heavy album. It's it's a disturbingly heavy album. It it doesn't just go heavy; it goes melancholic. Mm-hmm. You have tracks like Black Snow, which are which are at their surface extremely heavy, but there's this morose undertone throughout the entire song that just makes it even more crushing. If that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And the way that a song like Altar of the Seat, really the entire album, just has this. it, It almost sounds like, it almost sounds sad in a way. Like his extreme anger and sorrow are sort of being juxtaposed throughout the entire album. Because supposedly, Tom was not very happy when he was recording this album. And from what I've heard, he actually hates this album, perhaps because it reminds him of a very dark part of his life, Mm -hmm. because this is a dark album, and this is not an album that I recommend listening to while depressed at night in the dark.
0: Yeah, uh, unless you're planning on killing yourself, which I strongly do not recommend, (laughs)
1: yes uh very anti suicide to mozart is i'm gonna go on record there.
0: yeah uh to mozart we are uh anti suicide uh just wanted to clear the water there and we're also uh
1: and we're also um anti we're anti
0: anti choice we're anti nazi anti-suicide we're anti a lot of things but the but we're not anti-semitic i'll tell you that (laughs) we're not
1: and we're not anti-riffs if you don't like riffs get the fuck out of (laughs) here
0: i mean my love for post black metal and rap might uh might call that into question
1: (laughs) okay 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 fair fair enough death grips doesn't have too many riffs um so yeah that's that's of Cosmata for you. If you if you like Tobegatherion, uh, this is not the kind of album that you're gonna get here. There is no thrash to be seen here. Well, Tree of Suffocating Souls, I'd say, has some thrashy shit to it. Okay. Um But other than that, um I'm gonna say Bull Sky House has one of the heaviest crunchy I'd say it's almost a slam in it. Really? Yeah, it has almost a slam riff in it in a in a doom metal in a doom metal album. It's just it's just like dun 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 dun. It I don't know if it qualifies as a slam, but it's definitely a chugging riff, and it yeah that's just goes hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is really cool. And uh, so now I'm wondering uh, if you have anything else to talk about.
0: So uh, for my next album, I'm going to be talking about my favorite post-black metal album of all time, uh, The Light of September by An Autumn for Crippled Children. Now, calling this album post-black metal is doing it a bit of a disservice because it's less post-black metal And more a fusion of Atmospheric Black Metal, Dream Pop, and Screamo. And when I say Screamo, I'm not talking about metalcore. I'm talking about like screamy, grindy, hardcore stuff from the 90s. Stuff like Page 99 and Orchid.
1: Actually heavy stuff. The
0: good shit.
1: Yeah. Not that
0: metalcore is bad, but I am a very big fan of Screamo.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say Screamo is necessarily usually as heavy as Converse. Say. Yeah, exactly. But, but so, it's definitely heavier than your motionless and whites and your axing out.
0: Exactly. Bands. But so uh, this album has an interesting contrast in the same way that the previously mentioned Severoth does. Because the instrumentals of this album are very much a mix of... Uh, black metal and dream pop the vocals are pretty much straight up screamo you know those kind of bird shrieks you hear on bands like orchid and Uh uh it's so it has blast beats and it has tremolo riffs but there's also very often an acoustic well it's not an acoustic guitar but it's a clean guitar playing a a bit of a lighter melody as compared to the rest of the music. And that's complemented by these electronic, kind of trip-hoppy, kind of dream pop uh synthesizers, which kind of provide the lead melody of the songs. So you have, you know, a synthesizer playing a nice, dreamy, relaxing melody, while in the background, uh-huh. uh, very faded and very reverb heavy. You have blast beats, you have shrieking, you have tremolo riffs, and it's, it's, it invokes a feeling of panic that you've kind of accepted, if you know what I mean. Like, an anxiety where rather than pacing around your room worrying about it, you just kind of realize that this is how things are. And so it's, it's got an emotional drain on it. It's very melancholic. So you know, it's, it's a very relatable album for me to listen to just because I have, you know, a lot of anxieties and a lot of emotional stuff going on, you know. But so the dreariness and the melancholy of this album uh, really complements the, you know, the poppy parts and the black metal parts just to create something that's very relaxing, but in an unsettling way. So if you like post-black metal, if you like, you know, Death Heaven or Ghost Bath, I highly recommend giving an Autumn for Crippled Children a listen. If you don't want something poppy or screamo-y, then listen to Try Not to Destroy Everything You Love. Otherwise, definitely give The Light of September a listen. Okay,
1: then. All right. So now my last album that I'm going to talk about is uh, Serpents Unleashed by Skeleton Witch. Alrighty. Which I find Skeleton Witch to be an extremely overhated band. They get they get a
0: lot of a hate lot online. of hatred.
1: They get a lot of hate online, and I, I don't know why. Especially for this album. This album is just riff after riff after riff after riff after riff after riff, which I suppose it's prob it's probably part of the criticism of it but because a lot of people just say oh but the riffs aren't even that good why why just have riff after riff after riff and i just say the riffs are fucking good i mean it, it mixes it up with uh thrash and black metal riffs and they all sound really fucking catchy and uh fucking chance garnett's vocals are fucking sinister all throughout he sounds like a fucking fucking demon goblin hellion type creature i couldn't do it justice
0: yeah it's it's Um, some real good blackened thrash metal stuff
1: yeah he almost sounds like if trevor sternad of the black dahlia murder were doing black metal
0: yeah that's a fair comparison
1: yeah um and it just sounds awesome and all the instrumentation is super tight the transitions between songs are fantastic. Um, the song "I Am of Death, Hell Has Arrived" is what they opened with when I saw them live the last time. Mm-hmm. But funny story, there the vocalist wasn't there. Chance Garnett had just got fired from the band, so they played oh, the show no. with no vocals. Oh, that sucks! It, it was weird yeah it did suck. I was really looking forward to hearing his goblin voice on stage, but I had to miss it.
0: was it at least still fun, like the show itself yeah it was st-
1: it was still fun i got i I did some ass kicking in the mosh pit. that was pretty nice um but yeah um that's all I'm gonna have to say on my top ten
0: albums of the twenty tens all right. So uh, I'm just gonna like shoot off a couple more, even though I'm up to like what 15 now or something. I just there's yeah. too much music I loved from this decade to just limit it to 10. So yeah, uh, right off the bat, I'm gonna mention uh, "Emotion" by Carly Rae Jepsen. The only reason I didn't put it uh, on this yes. list is because I talked about it last episode. If you want me to, if you want to hear me talk about that album and my opinion on it, check out the last episode. We talked about a. Uh, good albums to drive to ah uh, yes uh and so a uh, couple couple more another pop album is a uh, transgender street legend volume one by left at london now this album is really important to me because i love listening to music made by other trans women simply because it's it's a very big inspiration to me at it really helps me feel like, you know, my life can go somewhere. You know what I mean? And that that means a lot to me. But other than that, it's just a very fun indie folk slash indie pop album. There's a lot of fun songs you can kind of clap along to. And while the music itself is fun, the lyrics are basically about capitalist alienation. You know, yeah. they, 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 there's lyrics about a, uh, about, like, kind of becoming disillusioned with the American dream and illusions of grandeur in a capitalist society. Uh, with the song, yeah. I Don't Trust You Anymore.
1: I don't trust you anymore. I don't trust anyone anymore. That's
0: basically what the song is about. Yeah. And uh, just real quick, I have uh, two traditional doom metal albums I wanted to bring up, uh, one of which is All kind right. of the golden goose of Bandcamp right now times of obscene evil and wild daring by smolder Uh, probably my favorite album of last year it's a bit of a combination of power metal epic doom metal and traditional heavy metal with uh, a woman with a very powerful voice on the vocals it it's got the feeling of something like conan the barbarian but with a feminist spin on it rather than you know dominating women and taking slaves and stuff like that it's about traveling the land freeing slaves and killing rapists it's it's a lot of fun uh and then the next one is another traditional doom metal album uh the ruins of fading light by crypt sermon
1: yeah uh, so another another
0: american doom metal band from last year uh this is uh much more of a heavy metal album than it is like a slow Candlemass album, and so if you like Candlemass and you like your music to be a bit more upbeat, Crypt Sermon is a very good tribute to the the real essentials of old school doom metal. And uh, so I don't mm-hmm. carry on the episode longer than it needs to be. Uh, I think I'm going to end my list there. Uh, to end off the show, I'd like to uh, bring us to our last segment. We've been doing it for a couple of episodes. And now I'd like to give it an official name. So Tim, I'd like you to give me some heavy metal homework.
1: Listen to Darkness Descends my Dark Angel, you fucking poser.
0: You know what? I will. I don't uh I don't really listen to a lot of thrash metal and I've heard a lot of praise for this album. So it's something I was going to listen to at some point anyway. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely check out uh Dark Angel. What's my heavy metal homework, Emily? All right. So I would say any of the first five Rhapsody albums because it's really hard to pick one that best exemplifies Rhapsody. But if I only have to pick one, I'm going to have you listen to their third—sorry, their second album, uh, Symphony of Enchanted Lands. Okay. All right. That sounds good. I will do that. All right. Uh, I guess that's the this end of the is, episode.
1: Yeah. This has been Tim. Tim, elation.
0: Uh, I've been Emily. No elation and uh you motherfuckers have a good two weeks yeah have a good night y'all uh we'll see you in two weeks this yep. episode will be released a little bit late because there have been a few technical issues uh with the internet with our computers and all that so with for passing our two, out
1: high fuck
0: that too uh so for <laughs> our two viewers uh sorry about the delay yes all right but otherwise have a great night Hi there, this is your co-host, Emily here. Just wanted to pop in for a quick message. Our intro is Anti-Fascist, Anti-Pill by cobalt off of the EP Kobold 2, which you can find at koboldcad.bandcamp.com. That's koboldcad.bandcamp.com. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode of Moshing to Mozart. Out of all the metal podcasts out there, you chose to listen to us queer nerds shouting into the void. And if you've got a friend you haven't heard from in a little while... Share some music with them. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. We all need some love in these trying times.